0: Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Special Counsel Jack Smith is reportedly nearing the end of his investigation into Trump's handling of classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. And there are new developments to discuss, including a report that prosecutors have obtained an audio recording of Trump admitting he held onto a classified Pentagon document. Meanwhile, there's a fascinating story involving a lawyer's use of chat GPT in a formal brief. What could possibly go wrong? It turns out a lot. Preet Bharara and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the Insider community.
1: So first, the Mar-a-Lago document. So there's been, obviously, an indictment in Manhattan by the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg. Lots of focus on the Mar-a-Lago documents. Jack Smith, the special counsel, uh, has not talked to the press, has not, to my knowledge, leaked any information at all about the case, although some information trickles out. Speaks through his work. Grand jury has been active. Witnesses have been talked to. Reporting suggests that Evidence from witnesses is basically at its end and people are predicting outright. I don't know why they do this because people have been proven wrong so many times, including yours truly. People are predicting outright an indictment on obstruction and perhaps other counts this week. And one of the reasons people are saying that, and let's maybe start with this, is that some of Trump's lawyers met with lawyers from the Justice Department Monday reportedly for up to two hours. They were photographed and videotaped coming out of the Justice Department building that you and I know very well. And I guess the first question people have is, what does that mean? What is that meeting like? What is the point of the meeting? What does that say about timing? Maybe let's do that last question first, Joyce, uh, and I have some views as well. What does the fact of that meeting tell you about the timing of a potential decision about a charge?
0: In a case like this, I think that that's a very late stage step for the lawyers to go in. I mean, the only reason that you have this meeting is because you've been advised that your client is going to be indicted. If there's not going to be an indictment, there is no need to meet. And so this suggests to me that indictments either of the former president or maybe of some of the folks around him are, dare I use the word, imminent?
1: So I don't know it's necessarily the case. Generally, it may be true here that the fact of a meeting means the decision to indict has been made. And particularly in this case, I think there's evidence to suggest that the meeting was requested by Trump's lawyers. So there there were times when I was a U.S. attorney where certainly I think the general rule was it was a known investigation. It was not covert. It was rather overt. And there was some understanding on the part of the target and his lawyers that we were moving towards an indictment. And maybe at some point we would say, yeah, we're intending, you know, our our current thinking is we're going to indict. Do you want an opportunity to come in? And those were usually in white collar cases because you want to keep an open mind uh, and you want to make sure that you understand everything that you're supposed to understand. And maybe you've missed something in the law or the facts. And as a courtesy, you invite the defense lawyers in to make a presentation. And I attended many such presentations. In most instances, we had decided to indict and our mind was not changed. There were a couple of instances in which our mind was not made up. We had a lien. I remember one case in particular where the lawyers came in and did a a very, very, very thorough and rigorous and fair presentation after which we decided not to indict. So it happens both ways. What's interesting to me is all the speculation about who attended. Now, I don't know if the reporting is correct, but the newspaper reports suggest that the attorney general himself, Merrick Garland was not at the meeting and Lisa Monaco, the deputy attorney general was also not at the meeting, but that Jack Smith, the special counsel was at the meeting. And that makes sense because he has some amount of autonomy as a special counsel. Does it say anything to you? that neither if it's true that neither the AG or the deputy AG were at the meeting.
0: You know, I think it's interesting there was also reporting that suggests that a high-level official in the deputy attorney general's office who's been coordinating with others of the special counsels, the Durham investigation, Hunter's laptop, all that stuff was present. So, you know, there was someone there. I think you do this sort of a meeting for exactly the reasons that you identify, and, and maybe you don't need to have the attorney general or the deputy there, especially because this is the special counsel's investigation and the decision about whether or not to indict, at least in the first instance, belongs to him. But it makes sense to me that this meeting happened. There were some people who seemed offended by it. For me, both, both as a line prosecutor, when I would always meet with a defense lawyer who wanted to talk about their case, we have very collegial relationships with the defense bar here, and it was not at all unusual to do that. But as the U.S. attorney, any time that a lawyer wanted to come in and make a case that we should not indict once that decision had been made or when we were close, I thought it made sense to listen to them because I wanted to make sure we hadn't missed anything. They might know something or think about something in a way we hadn't thought about it. And it was always really helpful for us to get to hear their side of our case before we made that final step. Well,
1: a couple of other things about that. And obviously a matter involving the former president of the United States is, is different. And maybe the hierarchy is different and the order of, of operations with respect to a meeting is different. But generally speaking, if the line prosecutors were thinking about indicting somebody, and the defense lawyers wanted to make a presentation, I don't know how it worked in your office, but they couldn't come directly to me, right? They had to go through the process. They first would meet with the line prosecutors. And if line prosecutors still wanted to indict, there would be a process by which maybe they would go to the supervisor, the criminal division chief. And only after at least one, if not two layers of review, if they still wanted to, they could meet with me as the U.S. Attorney. Sometimes uh, we would tell the party, That, you know, this is the resolution we want, sometimes with respect to an entity. And we said, this is the penalty we're seeking. And this is the, you know, the bottom line of what we want in a resolution, including a guilty plea or at least a deferred prosecution agreement or something like that. And the defense lawyers would squawk about that. They would be told, well, if you want to meet further up the chain with the deputy U.S. attorney or the U.S. attorney, it's not necessarily the case that it will stay the same for you or get better for you. It could get worse for you you ever have that?
0: I will confess that I would impose a trial tax if somebody came in the morning of trial when all of our witnesses had traveled and we were ready to go and wanted to plead that morning. But typically, we were a little bit less formal, maybe because we were a smaller office than y'all were and would not necessarily do that sort of thing. But something that was non-negotiable in my office was you couldn't come and talk to the U.S. attorney about your case and bypass the the line lawyers the folks who were working the case and knew the case you had to go to them and make that request and then they would come to me and we would set up a time we would have people in for coffee and cupcakes and hear everything that they wanted to say but that had to be done in the presence of the trial team
1: oh absolutely look i think you know going back to another case involving Jeffrey Epstein out of the southern district of florida The former U.S. attorney there, Alex Acosta, is reported to have met with lawyers for Jeffrey Epstein years ago and entered into a resolution without his trial team. And that's just a terrible look. In fact, you know, putting aside the formality of an actual meeting and a presentation, sometimes with a PowerPoint presentation alongside, sometimes lawyers would just call. And sometimes those lawyers might have a relationship with me. I never talk to them. Or if I talked to them, it was only for a minute because I thought it was important for the process to include the people on the ground, the line folks and their supervisors who had investigated the case and were closer to all the facts, both because it made sense from a factual and legal standpoint, but also from a leadership perspective, right? It, it, you don't want it to look like the boss is you know, taking calls from former colleagues or friends in a way that overrules what the line folks are trying to propose. I, I think it's a terrible look to do it otherwise.
0: I think that's right. It's it's respectful to do it that way. It's a credit to to the public service that folks who are employees in US attorneys offices are doing. And honestly, they often knew the facts in better detail, richer detail, and could engage with the defense lawyers in ways that were super productive for us. But but I want to go back to something that you flagged as you were talking about this process, because I think it's important. You said that in your office, you would sometimes float the beginnings of a plea deal if only to use it as a hammer in the process. No,
1: no, I didn't mean, then I misspoke. Sometimes when you're talking about, so so individuals are different from business organizations and companies. Right. Right, with an individual, we're talking about, we're going to indict or not indict. With a, a business organization, as you know, there are four possible outcomes. When you investigate a company, one is to walk away. It's a declination. Another is a non-prosecution agreement, which is you don't charge, but maybe you have them voluntarily agree to some conditions like a monitor or some reforms or even a payment of a penalty. The third is a deferred prosecution agreement in which a criminal complaint is filed but held in abeyance until some conditions are met and they engage in some changes and maybe pay a penalty. And the fourth is full-on indictment uh, to which they maybe can take a plea or not. And with corporations, the decision was one of those four things, and and you know, two of those four things are in the nature of a plea, and so that needs to be decided at the outset.
0: Right, absolutely. With individuals, it's an entirely different calculus, and these conversations can become an opportunity to talk about a plea. So my question for you is, do you think as As Trump's lawyers visited with folks at DOJ yesterday, do you suppose that the topic of a possible guilty plea came up?
1: I don't think so. One, I think given what we know about Trump and his lawyers and their belligerence and their aggressiveness, their 100% goal is to avoid a charge, which also means avoiding pleading guilty to a charge, misdemeanor or otherwise. Second, you know, I'm back in private practice representing individuals and companies now And I had occasion a few months ago to have my first opportunity to represent an individual who is being threatened with a potential federal criminal charge that I think absolutely should not happen. Not just because I'm the lawyer, but I actually think that's true. And I wouldn't have charged the case and I wouldn't charge the case.
0: I love how you say it now that you're on the other side threatened with.
1: (laughs) Threatened with. And as a general matter, if you're taking the position that your client hasn't done anything wrong, and it would be. Uh, a miscarriage of justice to charge the person uh, of of any number of federal crimes. I think if you go into that meeting, particularly if you think you have a chance at a second bite at the apple, a second meeting, to even open up the dialogue about a possible plea weakens your position and gets the government thinking, well, they probably think that their client is guilty of something if they're even broaching the possibility of a plea, even if it's to something less than what the government wants to or intends to charge, don't you think?
0: Yeah, I definitely think it looks that way from the defendant's point of view. I think it's entirely unlikely that Trump has the Constitution to stand up in court and say he's pleading guilty because he is guilty and for no other reason. But by the same token, if you're the Justice Department, there is this interesting precedent that you probably have to live with from the Petraeus case. And then there's an earlier head of the CIA who's also prosecuted similar cases to Trump, retention of documents. And the plea that they're given is a misdemeanor and no time in prison. And I think that those decisions were very widely questioned when they were made, but likely reflected a couple of things. The fact that those defendants, if they were forced to go to trial, would have, of course, pulled out all the stops, and that could have meant a lot of spillage of Documents that had classification levels or information about how the intelligence community worked that the government didn't want to have become public. And then also there's the problem of holding folks like that in custody and whether or not ultimately that becomes a national security risk at some point, just the prospect of having to to hold them in custody. So that's an interesting situation to me. I think a plea is unlikely, but I do think DOJ, whether it likes it or not, has this precedent that suggests that that would be an outcome to consider on a plea unless they can distinguish Trump's conduct, which I as a prosecutor would certainly try to do, arguing it's much more egregious. The obstruction is much more egregious. And, you know, last week there was this conviction of a former employee who uh, held on to classified material who received three years of custody. And, And, you know, you would think that that would be the better precedent. But a very interesting area to me, whether or not there will be plea conversations given Trump's very unique character.
1: Yeah, for the reasons we've, we've discussed, I don't think there will be. By the way, we should discuss, I don't know if it's interesting to people, what the nature and tone of meetings like this is, contrary to what people might think. In my experience, they were never belligerent. There was no yelling.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode Head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider to the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community. Thank you for supporting our work. More to do's
1: less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder.